Welcome to the Bolt from the Blue podcast. I'm sure you're expecting a very sad one, and for sure it starts that way. But towards the end of the pod, we got the news that the Dippers had thrown away two points at Leicester. Clippity Clop blaming their own pitch as a reason. And as we all saw, clearing the ice off only one side at half time, the cheating bastards. Guys, we are alive and we are going to do this. Turn on, tune in, drop out, up the blues. Okay guys, welcome to the Bolt from the Blue podcast, episode 43, Newcastle United 2, Manchester City 1. <laughs> Don't cry, right? Yeah, it is It is very, very sad, but I've got two guests to help me perform this autopsy. The first one we have is the amazing Presswitch Blue, Colin Savage. Colin, how are you doing? Slightly better for a glass of wine and a very nice lamb, spinach and potato curry. Oh, oh you make me feel jealous. Okay, and we also have tonight the one and only Man City Fan TV, Ray. Ray, how are you doing? Well, uh, Mike, under the circumstances, I'm bearing up reasonably well. (laughs) All right, guys, let's get this thing started. And I'm going to start off with an opening question. I'm going to direct it to Colin first and then to Ray. And here it is. Do Manchester City have the ability to win ugly? Let's give that over to Colin Savage. Well, I mean, I think it comes down to the crux of what we're going to talk about tonight. It didn't look like it last night. Get it out there on the table. There's an air of complacency and, a, and maybe a bit of arrogance about the team at the moment. And it's not the first time we've seen a performance like that this season. Leicester, Crystal Palace were both games we went ahead in. We seem to assume, or look to me, as if we think we're there, you know. And so we think we, all we need to do is turn up. And it was a bit like that against Wolves as well. You know, we got a goal in the first half. We went in 1-0 up. But it, it had been a very lackadaisical first half. And then we we came out, went up a couple of gears for five minutes, scored a couple of goals, and then went back into cruise control. Do we have the ability to win ugly? I mean, it doesn't look like it at the moment now. Ray, the same question for you, yeah. but also Colin mentioned things like arrogance and complacency. For me, those things are very intangible. It's very difficult to quantify those things, uh, to say them for certain. What do you think about the opening question and, and also those points? Can we win ugly? 
I think we can win ugly, but it just depends on the personnel on the pitch at the time. Chatting with uh, Harry Siddle today, and uh, I said, I'm sure if company was on the pitch yesterday, he'd have kicked a few backsides, he'd have roused them, and uh, he'd have made them fight. I have no doubt that we'd have had a much better chance of winning that game if Vincent Company was on the pitch. We lacked leadership. We lacked people who seemed willing to step up. Occasionally, you, you had that with Aguero running all the way back to the left-back position to help uh, Danilo. But generally, we didn't have people who wanted to take control, who said, look, I'm a senior player. I've got to step up here. I've got to make the difference. We've seen it occasionally in, in the past. We've seen Raheem Sterling step up, other people step up. But last night, it felt like, you're right, it's subjective. It's not quantifiable. But it felt like they were taking it easy. And a few City fans have said this on social media, which is the most disappointing thing of it all. And as Colin has, has already mentioned, we take the lead. We take our foot off the gas. Um, we should really be going for it then. You know, we've got an early lead in, in three of the four games, um, league games we've lost this season. We should really be going for the jugular. We need that second and third goal. Game's finished. You can spend the second half, if you're winning 3-0, you can spend the second half taking it easy, flips and tricks, being casual, but not until you've got that lead. And I feel the players, because they're used to it now, they're used to us winning. They're used to somebody coming up with a bit of magic. And they're used to fabulous, you know, two or three minutes where we score two goals and the game's done and dusted like against Wolves. They're used to it and I feel sometimes they think, oh yeah, someone else is going to do it. It's almost a feeling as though, oh, oh Kevin will, do, will come up with something or David or Sergio or Raheem or it's not a team thing, it's someone will, something will come from somewhere. Colin, do you agree with Ray that Vincent Company would have made some kind of a difference? I'm not sure. I mean, it's kind of saying that we didn't have leaders on that pitch. We had Stones and Laporte, I think, who were quite strong characters. We had Fernandinho, we had David Silva was captain, although David Silva's kind of leadership, that wasn't to criticise David Silva, and I'm not sure he's the right captain. Probably Kevin De Bruyne is the most gobby of of all of them, isn't he? Kevin De Bruyne, yep, is there. I always remember Mark Hughes talking about this. The players I want are leaders in the dressing room. There's other managers who have said that, not just the Mark Hughes thing. It was the same at United under Ferguson. He rarely needed to turn the hairdryer on, because they would sort it out themselves. And there's, you know, when you think we had with Mark Hughes, we had players like Bellamy, Gareth Barrett, James Milner, Vincent Cummins, Lots of big characters who knew what needed to be done. Pep doesn't like characters, though, does he? (laughs) Well, I don't don't know how true that is, but we know we have characters. You know, we have people on that pitch last night who could and should have taken things by the scruff of the neck. Ray, there has been an accusation levelled against Pep, and they think that this is one of his weaknesses in that he doesn't like strong characters. He doesn't like individuals. He likes them to be hanging on his every word and letting everything be subsumed to the collective is that a weakness do you feel honestly don't know I mean Pep is the boss and it's quite clearly he's the boss you step out of line just a little bit you know he, he'll push you to the side for a while uh, I'm not sure whether Mares has stepped out of line people are saying I don't think he started the game this season in the league so I think people have said it in the past I think Thierry Henry he said when he didn't listen to, to Pep in one uh, can't remember it was a Champions League final or something he got taken Pep, off yeah. yeah he got taken off at half time even though he scored the goal so you know Pep wants people who will obey him and mm-hmm. I think he needs that to feel 
the confidence that what he wants to happen will happen because people have got to do what he says. Whether he doesn't like leaders or, or big personalities, I, I, I really don't know, to be honest. Let's take a look at the lineup because there has been some comment on this. And of course, this is looking at it retrospectively. We'll take a look at it. Just remind people of that. So we started off with Ederson and Goal, Walker, Stones and Laporte centre-backs, Danilo, Kevin De Bruyne, of course, started with Fernandinho and David Silva, and of course, Sterling, Aguero and Sani. Now, a lot of people wouldn't have any criticisms of that as a lineup, but some have suggested that perhaps we um, shouldn't have altered the team too much from the game against Burnley, and that perhaps maybe we'd picked the wrong Silva. Does either of you, I'll start with Ray first, do, do you have any complaints about the lineup at all? What I find quite odd was the Burnley game, Pepe picked uh, Otamendi, mm. and I think he said, and Fernandinho, and I think he'd got them there for the, the height of the, uh, of Burnley, which actually they didn't put those players on, and they didn't have that height up front. So it was quite surprising when you've got physical, strong, powerful, very good in the air striker for Newcastle in Rondon, and then you put Stones in the pot. I would have expected Otamendi to be that guy who's going to get stuck in. The rest of the team, I have no gripes about, to be honest. For me, that was pretty much the strongest team we could put out from the players we had available. So that starting lineup is certainly more than good enough to win that game. So I can't have any gripes about it. Colin, the other issue that some people mentioned was the fact that Gabriel Jesus has been on such a hot streak of form, and of course he made way for Aguero. It's hard to argue with that because Aguero has got such a fabulous um, scoring record against Newcastle. Did you have any issue with that at all? You know, it's easy in hindsight, isn't it? I mean, it is, yeah. As Ray said, that was a good team. On one level, you couldn't have any arguments with that lineup. But you could say, perhaps, knowing that Newcastle would probably sit back, would Gundogan have been a better option than, say, Fernandinho? Mm. Who's a player we know we need to rest. Gabby Silva's not had a great run of form. Bernardo's been excellent. I think that was probably, that's one criticism you could make. Should we, did we start the wrong Silva? Jesus instead of Aguero, I've got it down as a no, which should he have started. He's on a rich vein of form. For me, Aguero... Again, I'm going to criticise, you can criticise everyone's performance last night. I'm going to criticise his performance over time because in that sort of situation, a player like Aguero tends to get a bit isolated. Although, I mean, there was that moment where he appeared at left back out of nowhere, which was fantastic. Too often, Jesus gives you that little bit more, I think. If there's a player you'd rather have in front of goal, it's Aguero. With a bit of hindsight, you could say, perhaps we should have done this, perhaps we should have done that. But that lineup was, I didn't have any complaints looking at that lineup at the time. Good point of raise about Otamendi. When mm-hmm. you know you've got a big, most old fashioned centre forward like Rondon Otamendi is the go-to guy but maybe blocking his copybook with that bad mistake he made against Burnley I'm reluctant to watch many many highlight reels and reviews and uh, post-match reactions from from the media so I haven't seen uh, the Rondon goal again I thought at the time I was wondering whether somebody could have tried to put their head on that ball or at least try and block it and you put your head in the danger zone you, you, it might have been a high foot I, I don't really don't know what do you guys think could somebody have someone like an Otamendi just thrown himself at that when Rondon was about to shoot. That's an interesting point, Ray, because um, I was listening to the ESPN FC podcast and you have Craig Burley there on and he was saying that he found that there were several moments in the game. He isolated one in particular that I'll come on to where he felt that City players were unwilling to put their head where it hurts. And he singled out a particular moment with Leroy Sané where he, he had a chance to head the ball at goal. He was challenged by one of their big defenders and he made a very half-hearted header on it and uh, Burley claims that it, it could have been a goal if uh, Leroy was willing to w- risk 
a broken nose. I'm not entirely sure what incident that he was referring to, but um, maybe Ray has a point there that in the Rondon goal, someone could have put their body where it hurts. But we're going to come on to that later. I think what we need to do is start off with the positive start that we had in the game. Ray, perhaps you could just talk us through the first 30 seconds. First 30 seconds, well, Newcastle, they, they looked at that uh, kickoff as a like a, a free kick, a dead ball situation. And uh, as soon as they, they took the kickoff, they legged it forward. And by the time the ball was pumped into our box, yeah, they had they had four men uh, in our box. Uh, so that's when Newcastle had pumped it forward. They had four men in our box, hoping to pick up some scraps. The ball broke to us. David Silva, he played this uh, beautiful, juicy uh, volley, almost reminiscent of um, his volley to Edin Dzeko in that 6-1. The six one, mm-hmm. yeah, and uh, it was it was that sumptuous. Uh, the ball, I think, went out to Raheem Sterling. That's who, right. Uh, scooted down um, the right hand side. Now, was he trying to take a shot or what? Sterling, uh, no, I, I, it was it was a cross. I thought he'd overhit it uh-huh. at first, yeah. mm-hmm. but, but Silver sort of got Silver got there, yeah. and he sort of it's a, the thing I joke about. David Silver, he has a rush of blood to the head when he sees the whites of the goal, <laughs> and he sort of fell over, and the ball kind of bounced off him. I don't think but, he oh, actually did. But, but, but Colin, that was an example of a player who was willing to put his head where it hurts because he very nearly got his head taken off. In, I, in, in, I, in I, taking I think it. you're harsh, Colin. I, I, personally, I thought he was brave. Um, oh yeah, I think so too. Whatever happened, it sort of put the key, seemed to put the keeper Dubravka off a little bit. It just fell to Aguero, of course. Just um, he hooked it in. Yeah. It was very, it's a good, well taken. It was well taken goal, yeah. It was indeed. Uh, I personally felt that was um, uh, David Silva really, you know, putting his head in considerable danger there to get that across. But it was a lovely hook finish by Aguero. And uh, people were saying that that was the high point of the game for Man City. After that, they took their foot off the gas completely. Would you agree with that, Ray, that from that position, lightning 1-0 start, City then began to stroll through this game? And my, my, next, my next question is... Uh, Ray, were we bullied? by Rafa Benitez's tactics? I really don't think we were bullied uh, by Benitez. I, d- I, d- I don't think we lost the game because of Benitez's uh, tactics or the way uh, Newcastle played. I think we lost the game because of the way we played. Every time, especially during the first half, when the cameras panned over to Pep, he, he looked frustrated. He looked perplexed. You know, he was rubbing his, his, his eyes. He, you know, if he had any hair, he'd be pulling that out as well. And he looked really... <sighs> down and depressed about the way the team were playing because you know know, he did try a, a, a couple of times to g them up when there was a mistake, I think very early on, after about five or six minutes, uh, Laporte did a very poor crossfield pass, and Pep was quite furious. He was throwing his arms up, trying to get them the intensity and trying to forgive the pun to pep them up a bit. Um, and as I said, every time they cut to him, he was he he, he cut this figure of a, of a sad guy, you know, where his beautiful football wasn't being played, and we were just. Pa- happy just to pass it around and it's one of those things I think he said last season as well at at times we're just passing the ball for the sake of it and just passing it around the back and out wide and back to the middle and out wide without any real purpose we had that one nil and we weren't pushing and busting a gut to get the second or third goal which is what I personally would have wanted and that's why I I think they should have done they should have really busted a gut to get the second and third goal then take it easy here's a pop quiz question for you Colin I know you love these but I'll just test your memory out a Aguero's goal after 24 seconds was the earliest goal scored in in this season's Premier League. There's been one player for Manchester City who has scored Jesus a faster Navas goal. When when was absolutely? Do you remember when that was for a bonus uh, point? Two thousand and. 
It was November 2013. Well done, yeah. uh, guys. Yes, it was. Now, the thing is that uh, Ray has pointed out what happened after that, passing it around with no real intent. Now, that's describing it, but what we've got to try to do is interpret it. Colin, why did they play like that? They, I mean, did they just really think that it was going to be like Burnley and the chances would come without City having to force the issue? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, it's my answer to that. Because um, we've seen it before this season. As, as I say, as I said earlier, we saw it um, We saw it against Leicester, we saw it against Crystal Palace. We saw it to a large degree against Wolves. I think there was a little bit more to it. I mean, our passing was awful. Yeah. That's one um, thing, yeah. Dreadful. Even passing it sideways, we were making a mess of it. Uh, and there's a few occasions where uh, Sane and Sterling looked up for it, but the balls just weren't going to them. Um, you know, they were pushing, balls were being overhit or underhit or... There were two or three in that first half hour, I think, where the ball was so far over hit. And it was just um, Fernandinho was one of the main culprits. You know, how often do we rely on him to start moves off in midfield? And, and so the two, Sonny and Sterling were giving it a go, but it just wasn't working for them. I mean, David Silva was completely anonymous because you expect on that left-hand side, Silva, Sane, that Danilo's <laughs> not really known for his overlapping, but, you know, Sonny and David Silva have worked so many openings between them, yet David Silva was, was just kind of anonymous. Sonny was trying his best. Again, De Bruyne and Sterling, you would expect to be a you know a fabulous combination, but just nothing was nothing was coming off. People said it was like a training session, but I bet we show more intensity in training than we showed last night. Well, Ray, I've got two questions here for you. Was this an issue of tiredness and lack of energy due to the hectic number of games that we are involved in? That's my first question. I'll aim that one at you to begin with well we played a lot we since December we played a lot of games uh, off the top of my head we must have played was it eight or nine games in December and the same in January so really every three or four days we've got a game I don't think it's a matter of being physically tired it can't be because we've got a whole host of uh, a medical team and a fitness team uh, and staff there to check the stats and you know of, of the players and the bloods and whatever and anybody who's showing that they've got some slight muscle fatigue or a tiredness or whatever they don't tend to um, to play them they'll, they'll end up getting a rest and I think Pepper said as well you know sometimes he, uh, when we re- I think it was last season or um, when we really had a lot of games in uh, the back end of the season in a short space of time and he said sometimes you have to listen to the medical people so I don't <laughs> believe it could it, it, it can't be a physical issue then what's left it's got to be a mental well, issue you, you know what, what you imagine is when you play like we're playing well play must be on a high I, I know it's and I've heard them say before you know you don't notice the tiredness when you're in a great run of form. You know, I was thinking, well, could we be tired? We played Saturday, then we've got to play Tuesday night. So we've only really got two days recovery. Yeah, the players should be on fire. Yeah. Well, I mean, Sane and Sterling had a rest. They didn't play against Burnley. Aguero had mostly a rest. So our front line had a rest. So they had a, you know, pretty well, much the week. So they were carrying on having a rest last night as well. <laughs> Some people have said that um, maybe picking Sterling and Sane was not the right option because they wouldn't have the space to play in it. Uh, you saw the uh, the Newcastle lineup. It was five four one. It was very compact in the middle at the back. Um, 
maybe it was the wrong option to try to expect those two guys to get space, Colin? Well, there's another argument about team selection that you maybe could have picked Mares, who can at least make something happen from a bit further out. Mm-hmm. But, but again, you know, the way to beat a 5-4-1, and we've seen it before, you get Sterling and Sane around the back, and that's Gabriel Jesus, because I think he's better at exploiting that than, than maybe Aguero is. He tends to drop very deep, end up in the right position when the cross is coming. I just want to go back to a point that Ray made earlier, and there were constant images throughout the game of Pep, mostly in the second half. It seemed like he was sulking. He was slumped in his chair. Uh, It seemed that, uh, you know, in the second half particularly, he'd sort of given up. And we mentioned the idea of complacency, but I'd always been told, and we'd always assumed that Pep doesn't allow complacency because he's so intense and focused, Ray. Uh, what did you think? It, it seems like it's, it's an odd one because you'd have thought if the team were performing as, as, they, as they were performing, Pep would have been on the sideline, really giving them a, a right or rollicking during the game. And you see him so often calling players over after we've scored, tell them little tidbits of what to do. And here he was. And we was in a game we were struggling. We were not performing anywhere near the levels we should be performing at. And he was just sat there in his chair, as you said, sulking. Um, but some people know. have suggested, Ray, that that might have been selective editing by the uh, the broadcasters because, you know, that forms, that's a much better narrative, isn't it? If you yeah, present it like that. Yeah, maybe they, you know, they've got a camera on him all the time and the producer said, as soon as he looks mardy or whatever, get get him on, get that picture on the screen. So maybe, maybe you, you, might, you might have a point there. But all we can go on is what we saw, that every time it cut to him, I don't think he was on the touchline or uh, in, his, um, in his zone as much as uh, in a normal game and for me when we were playing like that I think I mean, I'm going to nip into the second half for a minute here but I, I would have expected at half time a massive rollicking for those players a, a huge rocket and for them to come out and it looked like for a couple of minutes that they did up the game a bit and then they kind of slumped back into what they were doing before and for me I would have at that point said right I'm going to haul two or three of you off get two or three players who are not your first team players who are more like your fringe players players who are maybe newer to the club like Bernardo and Mares, and, and young players like Foden players who've got some a point to prove and and this goes back to that complacency and arrogance that was pretty much our first team and it felt like those guys knew they were pretty much our first team and their places were safe that's what I would have liked to have uh, to have mixed it up players not performing put on people who really want to perform want to show Pep that they they're the ones who should be in the team now that might in it might not have worked we could have had Bernardo Foden and uh, Mares on and we could have still lost but at, at least I, I feel they'd have upped the game, uh, the intensity, the urgency and the desire to actually make something happen. Colin, I've got to ask this question uh, to you. Now, I do not want to really resurrect the whole chestnut of Pep not having a plan B but I think it is a legitimate question to ask, do City have no alternative way to score than passing it around and the wingers slotting it into the box? Occasionally you see Kevin De Bruyne firecracker, um, occasionally this season we have seen Mares uh, take a dig. Unfortunately, most of them have gone wide or gone over. But is it a legitimate criticism that City do not have an alternative way of scoring when this system is not working? No, I don't think it is actually. Um, because when you look at some of the goals we scored, we've seen Kevin De Bruyne, Danilo, Fernandinho score screamers from outside the But area. those are very much the exceptions to the rule, aren't they? <clears throat> but we can do it. You know, we've seen players get round the bat. We've seen the passing interchanges. You know, people say Pep doesn't 
have a plan B. I'll be honest, I think that's nonsense. He has a plan B, C, D, all the way up to Z, because Pep is a great one for making minor tactical adjustments throughout the game. He'll do it, we've seen him do it three or four times in a game, even when things are going well. He'll adjust tactically. And one of the great things about Pep's philosophy or style, whatever you want to call it, is creating overloads, pulling pulling opposition players out of position, getting our players into those positions. And I think you've got to give some credit to Rafa Benitez, despite Newcastle's lowly position. He's a very he's a very tactical manager in a very kind of simplistic word to use but there was an article about Mourinho on the BBC and it said something that he was more concerned with stopping the opposition than worrying about how his own team play and I see a lot of Rafa Benitez in that sort of description he will probably spend four out of five days before the game worrying about what the opposition are going to do and certainly if you read Craig Bellamy's autobiography Benitez was very much about this is what you are going to do this is what you are going to do in this game and you, you do it whether it makes sense or not you do it until I tell you otherwise so I think Benitez is is a manager who concentrates very much on what he thinks his opponents are going to do and tries to stop them. To be fair to him, he's nearly succeeded, uh, uh, you know, a couple of times. He did succeed last night. But that has another kind of side to it in that knowing that, Pep maybe could have prepared better for that. Or having seen what was happening, at ha- he's got the chance at half-time or 1-0 up. There's no, no particular panic. And we've seen it before where we go in half-time and Pep does a Mike Bassett and throws the teacups around the dressing room, or at least we all like to imagine he does. And they come out and they come out fired up. And even say, to go back to that Wolves game. We came out for a few minutes, did what we needed to do, scored two goals, and then we went back into soporific mode. But we'd won the game, so you can not blame them for doing that. Yeah, Ray, I think that's a point. I, that, uh, this is where I would take issue with, with your earlier point a little bit. I think we do have to give Rafael Benitez uh, some credit. I mean, they were very organised, they were very physical. We knew that they were going to play deep, but there was a comment uh, attributed to Pep, and I don't know if this is apocryphal or not, but a comment where Pep said that we were not able to deal with their holding midfielders. Benitez had a game plan and he executed it uh, pretty well, don't you feel? You were say- sorry, Ray. You were saying that it was we lost this game because of the way we played, not because of the way. Yeah. But that sounds a little bit Pellegrini-esque to me. You know, it's where it's a bit of both. It, it, obviously, it's not just yeah. down to what we did. I mean, Rafa Benitez, he had a, a game plan, and even at one 0 down, he stuck to his game plan. You did think, think thought it's maybe it's gone out of the window, but no, he was just going to stick to it for a, at least another hour and hope that they could, you know, go and add some at one 0 and, and maybe something would happen in the second half. So he stuck to his game plan. So. You know, uh, definitely that uh, he had the tactics for that but I just I just don't feel that we did enough for all that Newcastle had done and the way they set up in the defensive strategies they'd used I don't think we did enough to, to break them down and to, spend, and to put away the few chances that we did have but I, I, think, I think Ray I'd agree with Ray 100% there yes I don't think any of our players had a good game last any anything remotely approaching a good game last night but I think you've got to give Newcastle some credit for, for the solid work they did they had a good plan they executed it well if we've got six out of our ten outfield players playing the way they can but we had enough to beat that and we didn't guys let's go go through some of the key moments in the game and I, I think the next one perhaps that we could talk about is the uh, this whole Kevin De Bruyne yellow card following the disallowed goal extravaganza uh, you'll remember that and I'm glad I've got Colin in here because really I, I, I'm not actually sure about the um, 
how this relates to the laws of the game and whether they were implemented correctly by the referee. But we'll start off with uh, Ray. Perhaps you could just tell us what happened before we well, get get, get yeah. on to the yellow card. Well, what happened was, uh, I think the ball was passed to Raheem Sterling. Richie came through, I think, kind of from the side or from the back of him. Personally, I thought that was a yellow card offence. Uh, it deserved a yellow card. And the referee didn't give a yellow card. He just strolled over as Kevin De Bruyne was settling on the ball. Showed Kevin his whistle. So whether he said anything or not, but it's indicating you wait for the whistle. Kevin was looking around. He saw Sergio in the box. Now, whether Kevin had heard the referee say about the whistle or whatever, or whether he was paying attention or not, we don't know. But Kevin's brain is always thinking and thinking very quickly and he saw the opportunity Sergio saw it as well Kevin put it around the back of the defence and Sergio nipped across and put away a very nice goal very nice finish I mean Newcastle had about seven players in the box at that time I think we had one and then the referee came across and gave us a a yellow card because he hadn't listened to him because Mm -hmm. Kevin hadn't listened to him he hadn't waited for the whistle whether it's right or wrong because whatever the laws might say you know if the referee says don't do something then you've got to listen to the referee um, so I, I'm not sure whether it's right or wrong he got the yellow card if, if, if those are the laws those are the laws I think it's a stupid yellow card uh, it's a stupid rule to, to give something like that for nothing where when you've got players kicking other players or trying to cheat not and not get yellow cards and for something so silly as that it, it does seem ridiculous yeah. give yellow cards for things that are worthy of yellow cards here's where I really want to bring in Colin it's interesting Colin that so many of the pundits that I've listened to uh, after the game they had simple Sympathy with De Bruyne, and they said that the referee was acting against the spirit of the game. Now, what was your take on this whole situation? I'm not qualified a referee; I've never taken the course, but you know, I can read and I read the <coughs> laws of the game. And my, my take on that was, I don't understand under what part of Law 12, which governs foul play, that he has issued that yellow card. Now, there's a general catch-all in Law 12, which, which, which under the heading of unsporting behaviour, when you look at the definitions of unsporting behaviour, none of them are covered by that situation. Mm-hmm. So whether it was for time wasting, whether he thought it was dissent, I, I just do not know. I'm at City tomorrow night, so I might find out a little bit more. Mark Clattenburg says that the situation is <laughs> that... In that situation, the referee will ask the player if he wants to take a quick free... This is going to confuse me. But he didn't. He right. didn't, though. He, didn't. he told De Bruyne yep. he was going to blow. And what Phil Dowd, another one who only has seems to have a passing acquaintance with the laws of the game, which he's supposed to know, said, well, the referee needed time to get in position because he might miss something in the penalty area. But that's not our problem. Mm. You know, we're not there to watch the referee. And there's been a lot of debate about the thing that made me laugh about Plattenberg's. No one has still explain neither Dowd on BT Sport nor Clattenburg in the mail could say why that yellow card was issued they, they could talk about the circumstance but none of them neither of them could give a, the reason as to why that yellow card was justified alright if the referee said um, and, he, and he clearly showed Kevin De Bruyne the whistle I think we all I think we all agree that if the referee could have said no hang on I've said whistle now you wait till the whistle take it again that, that, that's fine, you know, okay. But to give me a yellow card... This, this is my question for you, because I was genuinely unaware of this one. Is the referee in that situation obliged to ask the player if he wants to take a quick free kick or not? Clattenburg said he is. Dowd said, well, couldn't really give De Bruyne the option, because obviously we were out, uh, the free kick was out near the touchline, all the players were in the area. As a good referee, he should be in a good position to see what happens when that ball is delivered. Mm-hmm. So 
you know, I can understand that side of things. That he's he thinks I've got to get back there. Can't afford a free kick. But you know, you've got assistance. I, I actually think we should introduce the goal line assistance, like they have in the Champions League. Although, actually, give them something to do rather than have them stand there with the the, the kind of buzzer thing in their hands. My issue with the ref is now he's walked across to where the the, the incident's taken place. He's, he's blown up, walked across. Unless he's there to speak to Richard, the Newcastle player, or say something to him and warn him about his future conduct or whatever why is he walking across there what purpose does that serve nothing so he should give himself a yellow card for wasting time because he's walked all the way over there and then he's walked back so what's the point of him doing that he could have just walked to a good position where he had a a good view of what's going on and let Kevin take a free kick so I just don't understand the whole incident you know why a yellow card wasn't given to Richie, why Kevin got one, and why the referee had to walk all that way in, over there in the first place. It wasn't as if Kevin was taking the free kick 10 yards away from the incident. There was nothing there, so there was no reason for the ref to walk across and then walk no, no. back. Personally, if it was me, I'd, I, if I had to go over there for whatever reason, I'd have walked away from Kevin sideways so I could see the action and him kick passing the ball. So the mere fact that he walked away with his back to it, he's just wasting time. And, you know, it's, we want, we want a game of football to flow as much as possible. And you don't want the referee to slow it down for absolutely no reason whatsoever. Guys, do we want to say anything more about the first half? Because obviously we went in 1 0 up. Is there anything else that really we want to talk about yeah, in the first half? There's a couple of incidents I've got. So after the free kick, I think it was after the free kick, we had a bit of an early warning about complacency and lack of concentration. When Danilo was kind of robbed very easily, yep. about 30 yards out, but uh, Perez, his shot was, wasn't a good one and went wide. And then there was a good chance for David Silva. Mm-hmm. Yep. Where, uh, Danilo cross came out to him after Danilo put a cross in. Uh, and we talked about, you know, being afraid to put get your head in. So Sane did go in with the goalkeeper and got his head. The ball came out to uh, Silva and he put in a, a very weak header. It's, it was one of those where the ball was quite low down. And you've seen it happen a few times before where a player actually bends down to head the ball and they might have been better jumping up or get you know putting the foot hooking, hooking it in the way that Aguero did for the goal. So mm-hmm. again, it's one of those Silva's had a great season in front of goal, but he seems to have gone back into his old habits to lose it in his head a little bit when the um, you know when the goal's gaping and he should have scored that one okay well uh, I guess a lot of us were thinking that uh, w- what we always imagine would happen is that Pep would have given a few hair dryer treatments and uh, roused the rabble for the second half but we're going to come on to Rondon's goal a little bit later that happened I think in the 65th minute but did you sense a reaction coming at the beginning of the second half I felt we were we upped the game a little bit at the start of the second half, and within three or four minutes, um, there was a pass from Silva. And he put it out wide to Sane, and Sane crossed it, and Sterling just missed putting it in the back of the net. And to be quite frank and honest, uh, he should have scored. My my opinion, he should have put that in, and then yes, the game's over. So we, we, we did step it up, but then we we I felt by, by the fiftieth minute we'd fallen back into our old bad habits and mistakes were were there again. Yeah, I, funny enough, when we started the first couple of minutes of the second half we started off just as badly as we finished the first so I think there were two or three misplaced passes and you're thinking what's he said to them you know what's he said to them at half time but yeah as Ray said that Sane cross went right between Sterling's legs and again you think if that had been Aguero or Gabriel Jesus that would have been the goal I didn't think we, I think we had people said we had loads of chances last night I didn't think we had that many chances oh, that no. was definitely one of them um, the silver one in the first half the silver had another one in the second half but any point we go 2-0 up you've got to think the game is 
Leroy's won. We started off the first couple of minutes, then Leroy put that ball in. Sterling missed it, and it seemed like we sort of went to pieces a little bit after that. In the 60th minute, there was Kevin De Bruyne late tackle, and the Newcastle players they were desperately trying to get him booked. Obviously, that would have been a second yellow card, which is a you know obviously we say is very naughty of them trying to get a fellow professional sent off. I don't think it was a yellow card offence. And then for Rondon Scott, did we have to take um, KDB off? Yeah, he was uh, hooked, wasn't he? Because of that. Yeah, he hooked Bernardo because the, the, obviously the worry was that he any little thing that he did after that, he'll be, he'd have got sent off. And uh, we needed someone in midfield to be more combative. You know, and we needed someone to actually be able to put the foot in. And if Kevin couldn't put the foot in, we needed somebody else to, to do that, to be creative, but also willing to put the foot in as well. So KDB was hooked for Bernardo. On the 65th minute, yes. 65th minute, 64th, 65th minute. Jermaine Genus, who was commentating for BT Sport, threw in his um, financial doping comment, uh, which uh, annoyed me. There's no need for it. And then, whilst I was annoyed from that, Rondon went and scored. Let's talk about that goal, Colin. What happened there? came out of nothing really. The way I saw it, Newcastle had an attack down their left and it looked like Sterling let the Newcastle player get past him rather too easily. It was a very half-hearted challenge and he didn't chase back. But the Newcastle player, I can't remember who it was, played across him. Now, there wasn't any danger. Fernandinho was under it. He was literally under it. It's another of my criticisms. Some of our headed clearances, defensive clearances, are absolutely awful. and We need to be practising these. Now, Fernandinho had, he wasn't challenged. He had plenty of time on the ball but he got his head was right under it so the ball went up it instead of kind of being cleared out towards the touchline the ball just kind of looped in the air and fell at the feet of the Newcastle player about two or three yards outside the area he headed it forward I think we were trying to play offside but Kyle Walker wasn't in on the um, plot and Rondon somehow got a foot to it it wasn't a vicious he hit it down didn't he bounced up but it wasn't kind of a looping ball it, it seemed one that Edison I think it, Edison was anticipating maybe he was going to hit it a bit harder and it was going to go a bit low but it kind of looped over him and I still think he could have got it but the problem was started with, with Fernandinho's very poor headed clearance yeah. and that, that was the story of Fernandinho's night and that's something we do far too frequently but you can ask the question should we have been playing the offside trap at that point because if um, Carl Walker had been on message Rondon would probably have been offside I'm always nervous about doing that because you know if a linesman is close or a linesman misses it without VAR you've got no comeback and probably Otamendi with his more kind of get in there and clear the ball attitude might have been picked up the danger but Stones and Laporte had gone and Kyle Walker tried to run forward about five minutes too late but as I say it was a, if we're playing offside then everyone's going to play it if we're actually going to mark people again it comes back to the point that again that Ray made earlier about should we have had Otamendi in there to handle a, a big guy like Rondon uh, and it wasn't a great commentators will say it was a very clever touch I don't think it was actually I think he got a bit lucky you know he had he had all the opportunity to play that ball but when someone should have got a foot or a head or something in the way and we just stood and watched him. Ray, I'm going to just ask you a little bit about this uh, Kevin De Bruyne substitution because there was quite a, an interesting comment by Stefan on Twitter and he mentioned that he thought that uh, the, the decision to substitute Kevin De Bruyne was correct, although as soon as the goal went in from Rondon, he wished that he was back on the pitch again. Was it unnecessarily uh, cautious of Pep Ray to uh, take Kevin De Bruyne off purely because of the, the risk of getting, you know, a second yellow? Or what do you think? You've obviously got to be worried because he, he was very lucky with all the pressure given by the uh, Newcastle players on the ref. Uh, he was very lucky not to get a, a second yellow. It would have been undeserved. But also, I mean, he's, he's not long come back from injury. So we don't 
don't know how physically and mentally tired he would be in the latter stages of a game. And being slightly late uh, in a challenge, the results of being physically and mentally tired. It's only normal, it's natural, it's going to happen. For those reasons, you can understand why Kevin was taken off. We don't want to lose Kevin for the next game against Arsenal. We want him to be playing. So you can see you know, the very good reasons to take Kev off. And, and to be honest, we were at that point, we were still winning 1-0. So it's not as if we were losing. It's not as if we were chasing a goal. We were still uh, winning. And then you, you bring it on um, the guy who, you know, the, the Duracell bunny in Bernardo Silva who run all day long. So... I have no qualms about bringing uh, Kev off. No, no, I don't think. No, I don't think I have any, I have any qualms. Uh, you could ask, would it be better to perhaps bring Gundogan on and play him slightly further back with, you know, with Fernandinho? Because as Ray said, we were one 0 up. Uh, you know, and Gundogan's one of those players who is, you know, quite raised, who can do that defensive, more defensive role. So should we have been a bit pro- more pragmatic and perhaps shut up shop a little bit? But could bringing Bernardo on? I don't think you can argue, particularly with the decision, as Ray said, the Duracell bunny, and he, and he always has that ability to create something doesn't he but as you say I don't think I don't think there was any any harm in bringing KDB off it wasn't a yellow card challenge Mm -hmm. for me I mean the definition of a yellow card is um, it's got to be reckless or gives no thought to the safety of opponent I think is the I can't remember the exact words and and Kevin's tackle was neither of those so it wasn't a yellow card but you could see the danger you could see what Pep was thinking I don't think you can argue with that too much Sane came off and uh, Jesus came on after 17 minutes yeah I thought that was a strange one I'd have just swapped him for a Aguero. Aguero obviously scored the goal. He had the other goal disallowed, but he'd done very little else. And one of the things I went on Twitter, one of the things that was frustrating me a little about Aguero is, as good as he is in front of the goal, when he's got the sight of the goal, when he's got the ball uh, and he has to do something with it other than score, it takes him a while to work out what he's going to do. And there was one incident, and I think it was in the first half, where we had the ball in an advanced position. Aguero was deep. He had the ball. Sterling was going down the right wing. And Aguero took about two seconds to decide. It should have been instinctive. The ball should have gone to Sterling, who would have been passed behind the defence. And Aguero just waited and waited and waited, and Sterling was offside by the time he played the ball. And that, to me, is a bit Aguero-wash. Can't see the goal. There'd been a lot of that... His touch had been quite poor as well, I think. So I'd have been just attempting to do a sweet swap. Sonny always has this ability, doesn't he, to bring something. Oh, yeah. If, if you're going to take one of the wide men off, and I think I'd have taken Sterling, uh, although Jesus tends to play on the left, doesn't he? But could we have gone 3-5-2 at that point? I'm possibly, not sure. Possibly. Guys, let's get on to the penalty. Who do you think Ray was more culpable for this penalty? Was it Danilo passing to Fernandinho, who was absolutely surrounded by uh, Newcastle shirts, or was it Ferner, who failed to take a look over his shoulder before turning with the ball, what do you think, Ray? Well, we, we, we've seen Man City since Pep's been here, passing the ball around the box, passing it in tight spaces where player might have one or two men on, and then they just pass it off, and we're, we're, we're the best in the, uh, the league by a long way at doing this, you know, utilising Edison, the defenders, and, and, and Fernandinho, so I don't really have any major issues with uh, Danilo passing to Fernandinho, Dino. And if it's if it's a case of Fernandinho not knowing what's going on, should he have known? Should somebody have told him? You know, um, if they'd realised that Fernandinho hadn't realised what was going man on, on man on. Well, exactly. I mean, it's the same as a few games ago when Zinchenko turned into was it, uh, Crystal Palace, I think, and the guy it just turned into somebody, and he took the ball off him and uh, went and scored. And nobody was telling him uh, he took too many touches, by the way. But nobody was really shouting at him that there was a man on closer than he actually thought the man the man was. So. You know, there, there, there was a lack of communication, whether it was the right ball from Danilo or not. 
Fernandinho should really know uh, what's around him. I mean, that's one of the things about him. It's like he's got this uh, sixth sense to know what's going on without looking. You know, he's 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 supposed to be in the right place at the right time, uh, sniffing out danger, and uh, the danger was on his doorstep this time, and he didn't he didn't smell it. I'd agree with Ray. Yeah, I saw a lot of people blaming Danilo for a bad ball, but there weren't two men on Fernandinho when he when Danilo played that ball. Fernandinho was in space and he had time, and, and certainly the two Newcastle players were very quick, and, and that's what Newcastle were doing actually. They were they were closing us down quite high up, and uh, the, the two players came up Fernandinho, and what he should have done, I watched this a few times, just play the ball back to Edison. We know Edison can he can either choose to welly it or he can pass it out to the other side of the pitch. But Fernandinho just seemed to be completely unaware of what was going on around him took a touch into the Newcastle player who was closing him down and, and just took him out and um, it, it was a penalty and I think it was if you're going to blame any if you're going to blame one single player uh, Laporte had played a decent ball to Danilo you could perhaps say Danilo was facing our goal so you could say he wasn't he might have taken the ball with his body in a slightly different position looking to play it play it out Danilo you know Fernandinho was free when Danilo played that ball to him and I think it was Fernandinho who just took that touch he didn't need to take when he could have passed to Edison who was, was no one in his way uh, and Edison could have done what he wanted with it could have wellied it could have played it out whatever Fernandinho was just half asleep and, and it made me, made me laugh because there's been the accusation, hasn't there? You know, the amount of running and pressing we do. That the City team are on drugs, performance enhancing drugs. Well, I can only think last night that the team doctor must have got the Peds mixed up with Valium because we all looked half, all the players looked half asleep last night. Ray, was that a nice little piece of gamesmanship from Ederson? With the that, was that a fake, a fake injury? Do you feel? Well, it was. It was. He must have been acting really well because uh, Murich was taking his um, his tracksuit off, uh, getting ready to come on. So maybe that was part. Maybe that was part of the scheme. Maybe, but I, I, looking at Murich, Murich was like, you know, he was seriously getting ready. So, um, you know, um, just looking at him, I thought, oh, it's, maybe it's a bit more serious um, than it originally looked. Um, and so, yeah, it was time waste. And I think I heard Richie on um, the goal of the, the penalty scorer on radio this morning saying, I was going to place it, but with all this messing about, it puts pressure on you. So he said, in the end, I just decided to, to blast it. And, uh, and that's what he did. And Edison went the right way. And it just went uh, under him. I think he got, he got a touch on it, but it went under his body. And it's just one of those, you know, generally speaking, um, penalties, if you save them, you're lucky. You know, if, you know, I never, generally never blame a keeper for not saving a penalty um, because it is the look of the draw of diving the right way, diving at the right height. You know, if you dive on the floor and it goes up, you, you, there's nothing you can do. If you dive in the air and it goes on the floor, there's nothing you can do. So I, I never blame a, a, goal, a goalkeeper for, um, you know, not saving a penalty uh colin the final 10 minutes of the game uh we were kind of hoping that there would be a massive response it seemed unfortunately be to be what you would find under the dictionary definition of in insipidness if that indeed is a word what, what did you think as uh we, we tried to respond you expected a response um and you think back to games like um well games in the 2011-12 season um I think the one against Spurs and, and we had that game against Sunderland, didn't we, when we were 2-0 down with a few minutes to go and we, we got it back to 2-0. But what, what was com completed, the, the complete sense of frustration last night was we were knocking it, you know, we were knocking it around very lethargically as so though we, we were the ones 2-1 up. Um, and even right, you expected a, a burst of energy. You expected everyone to go forward. Um, but we still were still very 
Oh, I don't know, very half-hearted. Even when the board went up for, you know, for the five minutes extra time, there was a point where we were knocking it back to Edison, but we absolutely didn't need to. And, and, and there was one bit that summed it up, and it was just, to, we got the corner, obviously, just before the end. But just before that, Sterling had the ball out. Sterling had the ball out on the, uh, on the left. And he had a man in front of him, and you're thinking, you've got to go. You know, you've got to go forward. But he just knocked it in field. There was no... Um, you know, no sense of we, we've got to do this. You know, because there wasn't even, I don't think it was even the cover there behind the Newcastle guy. If he gets past him, he's in space and we can set something up. But he just stood, looked and knocked it in field to whoever it was. I don't know, Gundogan or, or even La, uh, Laporte who'd come up. And then Laporte knocked it across field. So it took about 15 seconds for the ball to get from one touchline to the other across the field. And no one had had a go at making anything happen. And that was with one minute to go. Yeah, yeah I was going to say when we talked earlier about complacency and it was that in the last 20 seconds of um, the allotted five minutes, uh, minimum five minutes of uh, added time, we were just passing it around the defenders. And when you talk about no plan B, City don't have a plan B where we launch it forward. We, we don't do that the only person who ever launches it is Edison um, from a from a goal kick. So we don't launch it forward, but you'd think there would be more urgency. You've got less than half a minute to go. You know, for me, a draw would have been obviously we, at that point you take a draw, but a draw, a draw would have helped us. Yeah. It would have been that seven points. So yes, we don't want to, we want to win, but at least get a draw. So Liverpool are still two results away from from, from us catching them. Guys, um, could I just interrupt this pod yeah. to announce? And of course, the listeners will know this by the time this comes out that Liverpool have indeed dropped two points against. Yeah. <laughs> Leicester, well, yeah, absolutely, we've got to be grateful for small mercies, Colin, but I think something that's even more surprising is that Bournemouth have beaten Chelsea 4-0. 4-0, yeah. Unbelievable. What do you think of that, guys? I've got to say, I've not been following any of the football, Mike, because I do a lot of in-depth research uh, before these pods. So I've not been watching the football. I've been, re- you know, <laughs> reading up on the stuff. So just let you know how hard I work for you. Um, <laughs> but, but, uh, <laughs> but Colin, all of the doom and gloom, I mean, that's quite... Le- Leicester have done us yeah. a bit of a favour. It's only five points now, not seven. Well, it's, it's, it's lose one, draw one. Colin, you've got to give us a rendition of Ale, Ale, Ale. <laughs> uh, <laughs> if they, even if they'd won tonight. People say they've got to lose one and draw two. Now it's one of those games. We've still got to win every game, of course. But Liverpool can now, if they lose one and draw one, and we win the, the games, the corresponding games, we're on top, back mm-hmm. on top. So um, it was very disappointing to see on social media the people saying, oh, it's Liverpool's title, give it to Liverpool. Uh, we've lost it. Because we haven't lost it. You know, we were eight points behind with, what, five games to go. And we've seen how Liverpool can collapse. Liverpool dropped those. Those five points that we're behind, they dropped it in 2014. Yeah. And let's be honest, who among us didn't say after that um, game at Anfield 3-2 that we lost? Oh. I think we all said, well, that's it. It's Liverpool's. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Colin, let me just read you a little quotation here from Damo. You'll 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 be familiar with him from your your, uh, your time at, Damo, uh, yeah. Yeah, at, uh, at 93.20. He says, I don't believe suggesting that we can catch a gap of four points out of the next 14 or 15 games is blind optimism. It's hard to believe that a fan base who has seen us win 
two titles by catching eight points in five games and nine points with three to go could be so myopic as to as to de- as to declare the title over. There are two competing forces at work here. One is obviously we've seen it happen before. Right, we weren't quite as far behind in 2014, but we were, you know, nine we were nine points behind at one point, and we had two games in hand. But we've seen it in 2012, we've seen it in 2014, where we've come from behind with a handful of games left, and we've still got 14 games to go, not four. So on on the one hand is right, but this is where typical city, the natural instinct, the inbuilt in the way that a cat will stalk its prey, in the way that a dog will bark at a cat, in the way that a cat will chase a bird. City pessimism now kicks in. I, I seem to feel the fan base, I will say, I'm going to generalise here, the older ones amongst the fan base still think it's there for a City to challenge. And some of the younger ones, and uh, the, the newer uh, City fans, let's say, are the ones that are saying it's over. That's my reading of social media today. Um, the ones who've been there, seen it happen, and, and been through some of the bad times, you know, we're not crying about it. You know, I mean, if you've been through some of the, the bad times uh, with City in the last 30, 40 years, this is still like heaven. You know, you look at Liverpool's game, oh, they've drawn up Leicester tonight. They've got to go to West Ham, Bournemouth at home. Yeah. Well, they've Bournemouth have Chelsea. beaten Chelsea 4 0. Then they've got to go to United before the end of February. Yeah. And, and they'll all and become United after, supporters. That's after a game against Bayern. Uh-huh. Difficult for both, uh, both teams. And let's not forget, I mean, uh, I don't know what happened with Spurs tonight. They won 2 1. How far behind us are they? Two points? I don't. I don't yeah. look behind us. I'm well, one of these big city fans. It's, it's like the way I. It's like the way I drive. I don't look what's going behind me. I'm looking ahead, so I'm only looking at Liverpool and us. Are, you know, mostly I've forgotten about Spurs and and all the other teams fighting for sixth spot. Yeah, guys, are you relieved that it's a five point gap instead of a seven point gap? How important will that turn out to be, Ray? Well, I mean, you got to think it's got to put a bit of pre- more pressure on Liverpool uh, because they potentially were looking at seven points and that's at least three results. And possibly it might G up the City players a bit because I think a few of them would have, you know, left um, the northeast last night feeling pretty down, you know, thinking, yeah, we, we might have blown this. And I think that this, you still believe, but you, you would still feel down you know, on top of the poor performance you know, and the result and everything else. So I, I'm hoping that it's a double whammy that Liverpool, you know, feel a bit down about their result, and we use this as a catalyst for our, you know, next three games, which are rock hard. You know, we have turned up against the big teams as support bar Chelsea, but even again, you know, even against Chelsea, we had chances to win that game, but we didn't, which we didn't take. So, but we—it's almost as though I remember City from many seasons ago. Ray, you may remember this. We would play really well against one of the big teams, and then we get one of the little teams coming to Main Road, and they'd hammer us. And it's almost that's not the same kind of philosophy in that you know we'd raise it for the big games, and then we'd we'd kind of go off. I think we're going into the today. We know that we know we're superior to all the other top five, top six teams. Mm-hmm. Very complacent against teams outside that. Ray, what do you make of that scoreline, Bournemouth four? Chelsea nil tonight. <laughs> I'm going to try and get my head around it. You know, I mean, as I said, I've not been, and I, I don't even know who was playing for, for Chelsea. I mean, Bournemouth have been through a shocking run since after, I think, eight games of the season. They had um, eight or ten games, they had 20 points. I remember, the, and then they just had a really good start, and then they just struggled, and they've been getting beat quite regularly. So it's a shocking result. I mean, you know, if, if I didn't believe you, I'd, I think you were joking me and pulling my leg because it's, it's, it's not a result you can believe with someone like Sarri to concede four goals. Things aren't right there, though, are they? Because he was 
was questioning the motivation yeah. of his players, wasn't he? And it's, it's not a happy place to work. I just hope that these things that are not right last another 10 days or so, mm. or 15 days, whatever. And then when Chelsea play Liverpool, they bang on it again. Well, guys... On that bombshell, Bournemouth 4, Chelsea nil, and Liverpool dropping two points. I think we're going to have to wrap it up here, guys, because we've been going well over an hour. We have to finish, and I'm, as, as usual, I'm not going to do that without thanking our two guests. First of all, Colin Savage, thank you so much for coming on, mate. <laughs> I did say it to you in a message earlier. Didn't know what I was going to say about that performance last night, but we seemed to make it last long enough, didn't we? We did indeed, and also we want to thank so much Man City Fan TV, Ray. Ray, thank you so much. Oh, it's been great. Great. You know, I, I, like Colin, I was a bit worried. I've done a, a few videos and pods today and I was worried what I'm going to say. I'm, am I going to still feel a bit down and despondent? But, uh, you know, that, that results cheered me up no end. It's a good point yeah, to finish I might, on. I might even watch match of the day now. It's <laughs> absolutely fabulous. And you guys will both be gratified to know that I'm just reading the, the comments of Klopp after the game and he's complaining about the pitch. The pitch was difficult and he's well, complaining about a penalty well, that they, wasn't they, given. They didn't let, let the grass go too long, did they? <laughs> Possibly so. But guys, we'll leave it just there. I'm going to finish off in the normal way by just encouraging all of you blues out there because of that, that little taste of good fortune that we've just had to have one on us. And of course, up the blues. I love